Well, good morning. How are we doing today? Good. So, yeah, my wife and I have five boys. It's pretty awesome. Uh, when we go to Friendly's on family night, we have to get two tables, which is pretty sweet. Uh, we get all kinds of weird looks at the grocery store, which is awesome. Uh, but we enjoy it. We love it. Our boys are phenomenal. And uh, it's definitely a blessing for us. Um, so, so real quick, I'm going to jump into this because uh, we don't have much time. Uh, and so, like, if you attend Life Community Church, you know what I'm talking about because we do Bible at Life and we preach a lot. So uh, we're going to try and condense this thing down to, like, 25 minutes, all right? So if you attend Life, you know how excruciatingly hard that's going to be for me right now. But we're going to attempt to do that. Are you tracking? Are you with me? No, not yet, but you will be. Okay, here we go, right? So six of us, we're, we're good. We're rolling. We are ready to rock. All right, so here's the deal. When you look at the Bible, you understand that there are multiple names for God. This doesn't mean multiple gods. It means one God that has multiple names that describe his characteristics, attributes, that help us understand our relationship with him in different ways. So, for instance, uh, in my relationship with the people in my life, to my wife, I'm husband, to my children, I'm daddy, to the people in my church, I'm pastor. Uh, right? So you understand, multiple names, same person. One of the things that we learn greatly about God and his character and about our relationship to him is when we understand the different names that are used to describe God all throughout the Bible. For instance, in the New Testament, when you get to the book of Acts, chapter 2, Pentecost happens, explosion, revival, church explodes. It goes from 120 people praying in a room to 2,000 people meeting in homes and buildings all over the region. And the, world, the, the gospel is being globalized worldwide. It's this huge explosion of the church. In Acts chapter 3, though, uh, Peter gets another opportunity to pray to a crowd. They heal this dude that's been lame for a very long time at the temple, All of the people around are like, this is amazing, how did this happen? Peter recognizes the crowd and begins preaching the gospel. And when you hear Peter preach in the New Testament, Peter isn't exactly what you might call seeker-sensitive. He's not actually taking into consideration how this might, uh, like, hit people. And so he's just basically like, you killed God. That's what you did, right? And so he says that again in three. He says, you killed. But what's interesting this time, I I remember reading this uh, several years ago, reading in my Bible, and, and, and I get to Acts chapter 3, verse 15, and, and, and it says that, that, he says, you killed the author, capital A, of life. Now this gives us incredible understanding of how the New Testament saints and believers actually viewed Jesus. They viewed him as an author. This sovereign, wonderful, beautiful, glorious God who's written this incredible story that we get to be a part of. Now here's the deal. If you look at the Bible, you have to understand that the meta-narrative of Scripture, the, the whole point of the Bible, is Jesus. From Genesis to Revelation, it points to Jesus. Genesis 1 and 2 paint a picture of what life was supposed to be. Revelation 21 and 22 paint a picture of what life will be again. And everything in between is the story of God rescuing and redeeming humanity through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. All events point to it. They're tight, shadow. Everything centralizes around Jesus Christ. This book because of that, is not a book so that we can know everything there is to know about God. You could never put everything there is to know about God in this book, in any book. This book exists so that we understand that God knows everything there is to know about us, that we are a part of his story, he's not a part of ours. This is the difference. And when we understand that, like the New Testament saints, we come to that realization that changes our perception of the relationship we have with them and what exactly is happening in our world. So what I want to do in the brief time we have together this morning is I want to remind us of the narrative, of the story that God has written for humanity that we have been caught up in. So are we ready? Are you tracking? Are you with me? 
Yes, there's 12 of us now. This is phenomenal. All right, this is going to go fast. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God. Er, Stop. Everything in the world finds its context in those words. In the beginning, God. Everything follows that. In the beginning, God creates creation. Ex nihilo, Latin, out of nothing, he creates it. God did not come along like the sovereign MacGyver, find like a shoebox, some duct tape, and a light bulb, and throw this thing together. He created the world out of nothing, the Bible says. In the beginning, God, he, he bahrad everything into existence. Hebrew, out of nothing. Then we get to Genesis 1 and 2, and it says that that world that he created was formless, and darkness covered the face of the deep. That does not sound like the world that we live in right now. And then in Genesis 1, 3, something happens. Let there be light. This process begins whereby God, Jesus, the agent of the Trinity, John in Colossians tells us that it was actually Jesus who was forming and putting the world together, speaking it into existence. And he brings everything. He says, let's have an atmosphere and let's have land. Let's separate the two and make the sky and let's have the ocean and let's bring in plants and trees and we have sea life and fowl and we have animals. And then all of a sudden, when he had spoken everything into existence, something incredible happens. By the time, by the way, you get to the end of that six-day period where Jesus is creating the world and he's speaking it into existence, that word transitions, that creative word transitions from Bahra to Asa. He begins preparing. So Jesus takes this world that's been created by the sovereign God of the universe and begins preparing what? A, 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 A garden where people are going to live. And they're going to live with God for God's glory. They're going to be used as reflectors of God's glory in the world. They're going to spend time with him, know him, be in harmonious peace with this creator God. He's preparing a place for us. And then he gets down after he speaks everything into existence. He lovingly molds man with his hands. Like Plato. He literally fashions out of the dirt of the ground, prepares man. And then he gives man a job. He says, I want you to name animals. That's your job. Okay, seriously? That's a phenomenal job. For real, like name the animals. Giraffe. Elephant. Duck-billed platypus. But to be honest, that's going to get old after a while because that line's real long. So pretty soon you're just like, dog, fly, cat. How many people, how many animals are left in this line? So you get this job. God gives him a job. And then all of a sudden, it's funny, God, listen, God says, there wasn't a helper suitable for him, which Adam's real happy about because the eye that cow's given him is not okay. This is like, this isn't, like, there's not, a, there's not someone for you, bro. And Adam's like, I'm telling you, like scary stuff, you know? So God causes a deep sleep to come on Adam. He then pulls a rib bone out of his side and he creates, and the Bible says, Genesis 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 27 and 28, that he, he creates man in his image. He created them both male and female. He created them. He blesses them, and then he tells them, I want you to be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. Now this is what happens. God looks at Adam, gives him a job. Adam's responsible for the job, so God gives Adam a girlfriend. And then he blesses them. They get married. They have sex. She gets pregnant. They start having kids. Any questions? 
Here's the problem in our society. We got that completely backward. We don't start out with, with responsibility, dating, marriage. No, where, where do we start? Everybody says that, sex. Give yourselves a little bit of credit. You might start out with a friendship. You know what I mean? Maybe you had a drink first. I don't know. The point is, the point is, is that like we do, we, we enter into this sexual relationship. What comes next? Pregnancy. And then MTV gets rich by making a show over it. And then all of a sudden this dude and this girl are like, man, this is, this is like, we should really do the right thing here. Let's get married. And then after a while, the dude finally realized after living in the basement with his action figure collection, sleeping between the Star Wars sheets, playing video games 40 hours a week, realizes I should get a job. Listen to me. Girl, single girl. How many girls are single? Let me hear you. You're looking for a man? Listen, listen to me, listen to me. Important that you note this. The primary reason God created marriage was to make us holy, not happy. You do not search for a man that is going to make you romantically happy. You look for a werewolf or a vampire to do that. If you're looking for a future spouse, though, you look to your future glory self and you ask yourself, can this man lead me there? So, girl, here's where you start. You're looking for that dude. You want a man to lead you, be your husband, take care of you. Make sure dude's got a job. That's where we start. Dude, dude, you looking for a girl? You want to marry her? You want to, you want to lead her? You want to take care of family and do all that? Get a job. That's where you start. Then you get a job, you can provide for yourself responsibly, you can get married, you can have all the sex you want, you can get pregnant, have children, and continue the process for the glory of God so that his renown is known in all the world. This is what God says to Adam and Eve. He says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to subdue the earth, I want you to take care of it, I want you to develop. He wants them to build a culture, develop technology, build society, develop all of these things. For the glory of God, have children, raise them to be glory bearers of God. This is the process that God's created us for. And listen, listen to the instructions. How hard is this? God said, listen, I just want you to be fruitful and multiply. Okay, I've studied this a lot. And the best I can come up with is he essentially said, I want you to have sex and eat fruit. Now, I don't know how in the world, how in the world that got screwed up. Because if I'm Adam, if I'm Adam, and we know that, by the way, when Eve disobeys and eats this fruit, Adam's not off working, doing his responsible man thing. He's standing there doing his cowardly pansy thing. Instead of protecting his wife and standing in for her, he allows her to take the lead in sins. But if I'm Adam, now theologically I know if I was Adam, I'd screw everything up too. But just for perspective's sake, if I'm Adam and this serpent deal comes out and says, hey, Eve, eat this fruit and everything's going to change, I'm thinking, oh, no, you don't. And I would grab that snake. Time for nakedness. You know what I'm saying? Like, that would be done deal. Maybe have, maybe have some, you know, some banana later or something. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like, just eat fruit. Here's the deal. It also says that after he created this world that they used to hang out with God in the cool of the day and talk with him. Stop now, listen. How phenomenal would that be? Like literally they go out, they like, they like, build, they like discover, they, they, 
they, they go and walks in the garden. They see all of God's creation. They learn new stuff about it. And then at night, they come back and hang out with God. And like, God, did you know there's bugs that light up? I didn't even see that when I was naming these things. I'm going to call them lightning bugs. Let's go. Come on. I don't know what they were talking about. I don't know what came up in conversation. But I do know what didn't come up in conversation. Economic crisis didn't come up in conversation. Disease didn't come up in conversation. War did not come up in conversation. Brokenness, suffering, bitterness, depression, killing, suicide, none of that came up in conversation. Sin did not come up in conversation. Death did not come up in conversation. Do you know why those things did not come up in conversation? Because those things didn't exist in the world Jesus prepared for us. Until we sinned. And when Eve eats this fruit, disobeys God, they send humanity spiraling onto a completely new course of life that acts as if God is absent. They exchange themselves for God. This is what the Bible teaches, that we exchange the glory of God and place it on something of lesser value, ourselves. And we did continue to build society. We did continue to develop technology. We did continue to, re- to multiply and, 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 and subdue the earth. And it's all led us to this point right now. How are we doing for ourselves? Not so good. Ephesians 2.1 tells us that we were dead in the trespasses of our sins in which we once walked following the course of this world. We are on a different course than God intended for us. A course where we are at the center of our own affection, where we live for our glory as if God is absent. And do you know where that sin leads us? Death. The wages of sin are death. Do you know death is not a natural part of life? It's a consequence. It's a consequence for our sin. And that sin that was committed in the garden, Romans 5.12 tells us that that sin, therefore, is sin entered into one man. That sin then passed on to all mankind. And since death comes with sin, death has now passed on to all man. For the wages of sin are death. And here's the bad news. All Romans 3.23, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know what we've done? You know what we've done? We have robbed God of his glory. We have committed mutiny against our creator. We have committed treason against him. We have belittled his name, made much of ourselves, and acted in the absence of the glorious God who created us. And that sin against him has left our world spiraling out of control, broken and fragmented, and all of us will be led to death. The Bible says in Hebrews, it's appointed on a man once to die, after this the judgment. Proverbs tells us there's a way that seems right to a man in his heart, but the end of that way is death. We are not headed toward life. We are headed toward death. We act as if God is absent now in this life, so we will spend eternity with the absence of God in the next. This is what the Bible teaches all the way through, all the way to Revelation chapter 20, verse 15. All those whose names were not written in the book of life 
were cast into the lake of fire. Revelation 14.11 reminds us that the, 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 that the smoldering smoke of their suffering billows up forever and ever. And some of us, if we're not careful, we take this logic that how, like, if God is a God of love, then hell is unjust. But that's only because we think we're God and we know what love really is. What we should be brought to is a point of submission and begin seeing that if this is a just punishment, because God says it is, how glorious and how powerful and how mighty and how sovereign is this God, that this punishment is just for our crimes. And we are lost, broken, headed toward death. But, that's the big but in the Bible. But, Romans 5.8, God demonstrated His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let us not make light of the severity of God because that belittles the preciousness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when we understand how Jesus came to rescue, redeem, and restore us, that God saving sinners through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why? Because God so loved the world that everyone, He sent His own Son, and everyone who would believe in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And that everyone who will confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, Romans 10, and believe in their heart that God raised them from the dead, they will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved, Romans 10, 14, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the good news of the Bible. It's why God's given it to us. So we would know this narrative, this story, this gospel that we've been caught up in by the grace of God through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Through this gospel, through this gospel, God is reconciling the entire world back to Him. God, listen, God is not okay that you're not okay. And because you would never seek to save yourself, could never hope to save yourself, God came rushing into the scene through Jesus Christ to save you. What is he accomplishing through this this gospel? The reconciliation of all things. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us, entrusting to us, the church, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, making his appeal, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
You need to understand that the life of Jesus is just as important as his death, burial, and resurrection. Because in this glorious exchange, Jesus not only took your sin, but gave you his righteousness. In what manner? In the same manner that God imputed to him your sin, even though he never had sinned, and imputed to you by your faith the righteousness that only Jesus acquired that you never did anything for. You are only righteous to the same degree that Jesus was a sinner. Which means on the cross, God treated Jesus as if he'd done everything you've ever done. So that for those that put their faith in Jesus, they would be treated as if we'd done everything Jesus did. This is that glorious exchange of the gospel. And the church has been given this awesome privilege to bear with us this message of reconciliation and restoration. What I love about 2 Corinthians 5 Verse 17 is that we're a new creation. What you see all throughout the scripture, Genesis to Revelation, is this woven thread of creation, fall, redemption. Creation, fall, redemption. Israel, given the perfect scenario, in slavery, Jesus comes to the rescue. We see Israel after that, making covenant with God, breaking covenant. God makes a new covenant. Jesus literally comes. When you hear the word new covenant, what you need to understand, that's Jesus coming to do for Israel or God's people for all time what they could not and would not do for themselves. God said, I make a covenant. If you'll obey me, then you'll be in that covenant. They broke their end of the covenant. They couldn't obey, didn't obey, didn't want to follow the Father. And so what did Jesus? Jesus came and obeyed for them so that if they would trust in Jesus and the life, death, burial, and resurrection of what he accomplished, they would be saved. And this, fear, this, this ribbon that kind of weaves all throughout creation, fall, redemption, it all points to Jesus because Jesus is bringing about a new thing, a new creation, a new heaven, a new earth. And how is Jesus starting with his new creation? With those who believe. All those who are in Christ are new creation. How many guys are Dunkin' Donuts people? How many guys are Starbucks people? Just because you like burnt coffee doesn't mean you should woo. Anyways, here's the deal. I'm a Dunkin' Donuts guy, that's fine, right? I know, you're like, it's a crappy cup of coffee, right? And I join a lot of America in liking a crappy cup of coffee. So, bear with us here, okay? Love Dunkin' Donuts. Creature habit, go to the same Dunkin' Donuts every day. Our office is on Federal Ave in West Quincy. On Franklin Street is a Dunkin' Donuts right there. Go to the same Dunkin' Donuts almost every day. When I first moved here, and we started our church, we were meeting at Lincoln Hancock Elementary School, and I would go down every morning and get a cup of coffee. I went down one Sunday morning, turned the corner on Franklin Street, and the Dunkin' Donuts was gone. Gone. Like straight up, Charlie in the Chocolate Factory. Dad said, if you leave and come back, I'm going to be gone. Charlie comes back. Seriously, gone. Like building, building, gone. And I stood there in a city where Dunkin' Donuts was birthed and probably has at least 50 Dunkin' Donuts and went, well, what am I supposed to do now? No lie, like three weeks later, brand new Dunkin' Donuts right back in its spot. I walked in. It's the same employees. Like, can I help you? I'm like, you tell me what the freak is going on around here. <laughs> Nobody called me or emailed me. You're gone. You're here. You're here. I don't even know what's going on. Somebody somewhere in the Dunkin' Donuts Corporation realized that if we're going to hang, if we're going to do this, then we've got to stop being settled with painting our bathrooms and having a better drive through service. We've just got to demolish what used to be and build something new in its place. Listen to me, Christian. Listen to me. You are not the better version of you. 
Jesus did not come because you were bad and he wanted to make you good. Jesus came because you were dead and he made you alive. You are not that old person anymore. Do not let that tempter enemy convince you of who you were because when God looks at you through this glorious exchange for those whose faith is in Christ, he no longer sees the person you were. He sees the righteous son that Jesus is. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And we declare this to the world through demonstration and through proclamation. We live out the kingdom of God now. Why? Because there's no better way of life. The gospel of Jesus Christ cannot be left to just mere words, but it can't be left to just mere actions either. It must be both. Because if you profess to believe in Jesus, then your life is changed. And you care if there's people in the world that don't have water to drink. Why? Because in God's kingdom, nobody's thirsty. You care if there's people who don't have food to eat because in God's kingdom, nobody's hungry. And when those opportunities arise for us to stand and boldly proclaim the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we don't cowardly back down. We stand up truthfully, lovingly, graciously and say, it's only in Jesus Christ that you can be reconciled to God. We participate in this for now for the glory of God and for the good of others. So my question is, if I know what we're doing right now, what is Jesus doing right now? This is my favorite part. John chapter 14, Jesus tells his disciples, verse 1, he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many rooms. Would I have told you this if I was not going to miss this? to prepare a place for you. Listen, church, it's going to end the same way it began. With God on his throne, with his creation living for his glory, declaring his worth and renown for all of eternity. Because in this story, in God's story, depression and bitterness and anger don't have the last word. And this story, brokenness and heartache and bitterness and, and, and rivalry and conceit and, and, and depression, and, and they, they don't have the last word. Sin does not have the last word. Death does not have the last word. Why? Because this is his story. And in his story, Jesus has the last word. Let's pray. God, we love you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity we've had to open your word. Lots of information covered, lots of scripture. We love the Bible. We love your word. We love your truth. I pray for those that are here that have never put their faith in Jesus. May they understand this is... This probably is a great community full of faith, people of faith in their families, people of faith in their uh, government, people of faith in their city, people of faith in their school, and people of faith in their friends. And, and none of those things in and of themselves are bad things, but Jesus reminds us, he calls us, and we, it's not enough to be people of faith. We must become people of faith in Jesus. And I pray for those that are here that have put their faith in something else that cannot bear the weight. I pray that they would realize that they can only put their faith In Jesus Christ, the one true, only way to be reconciled to God. I pray that this morning, even as those who sit here, that you would...
call on them, that your spirit would work in their life, and that even in this moment, that they might call on the name of the Lord to be saved. It is to you we turn because there is no other where, other place to go. There is no other person to go to who holds the keys and has the words to eternal life. So God, we pray that you be glorified and honored. I pray that you would do a great work in this school, that you would bless these professors and teachers, that you would bless all of the staff and faculty, the students, the athletes. I pray that you would just do a great and mighty work on this campus, a revival, a renewal of sorts, that your spirit would bring about change in the hearts and lives of individuals, that people who are even enemies and at odds with you, God, would be caught up and would be moved by the grace of God and that you would change hearts and lives because this is the power of the gospel to change lives for all those who believe. Lord, we ask all these things in your son's holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. I think I'm supposed to dismiss you. Is that? Thanks. Good. At the end of each chapel, we ask our chapel speaker to stay. Jenny and I and others are here to pray with you and talk with you. If you want to talk with us, please do. If not, go in peace. Have a wonderful weekend.